Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week, I'm talking to Stephen Cooper. He's not only someone I've got to know through doing social mobility work on the leveling up goals. He's also someone who's had a passion for social mobility through his work co-chairing the Social Mobility Commission. We're working with the business that Stephen Cooper is now chief exec of, Aldermore Bank. It's a specialist banking group that is playing a key role on leveling up in the UK and really focusing on those 14 leveling up goals, but in particular, taking a lead on goal seven, which is widening access to savings and credit. We'll talk a little bit about that, Stephen, um, shortly, but for people who aren't really sure necessarily what a chief exec does, what being a chief exec at a bank means, tell us a little bit more about the role as CEO at Aldermore and, and what Aldermore does as a bank. Yeah, thank you, Justine. Um, so I, I'm four months into my role as chief executive of Aldermore. And I'm, I guess I'm, I'm learning myself what the chief executive does, but um, let, let me come back to that. On, on Aldermore itself, it's a multi-specialist lending provider that really was established to challenge uh, the status quo of the large incumbent banks and really to help those, uh, and those being people like you and me or, or, or SMEs, who were not really well served by the, you know, the main high street banks, who weren't being supported or being helped in a way to help them move forward in their lives. And that, that, that challenger or entrepreneurship really took an organization that is essentially you know, only 12 years old and propelled it into a significant size business that helps uh, thousands of people every year to, to save or to get a home for the first time or to get a car to move themselves and their family around or, or to help a business to, to expand and, uh, and create jobs for, for those who need it across the UK. And um, uh, I mean, that's what Aldermore does. And my job is really to help take that to, to, to another level. Uh, I'm hugely excited about the opportunity in front of it. And, and we can talk about that in a bit, perhaps. As a CEO, my job is, I guess it's a number of things. One is it's really about creating the vision for the future uh, and to them putting plans behind that to to really make sure sure that happens uh, the vision i think is really important it needs to be something that is achievable something that has strong purpose and really benefits society and attracts people to want to work uh, in the organization be part of a team that will work hard deliver something special and uh, my job is to sort of make sure that happens, but make sure people feel excited and motivated about it. And um, I think we, we are doing that. I think we have an opportunity to do that at a bigger scale and with bigger impact and at a faster pace. And I'm excited about the opportunities in front of us. And obviously access to, to credit, having the chance to put a bit of money aside. I mean, it's, 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 core to everybody's lives really but tell us a little bit about from Aldmore Bank's perspective what leveling up and that wider agenda looks like to you as an organization. So one of the things that attracted me to Aldmore was its stated purpose um, which is backing people to fulfill life's hopes and dreams and at one level you could say you know that's a little bit trite and, and maybe it's a bit too too wordy but I'm really drawn to the word backing people. And I've been 
surprised is, I don't know if I'm surprised or not, but I am, um, I note how important that is to colleagues in our organisation. So we've got some wonderful people. I've been in banking 30 years and they're some of the best talent I've ever seen, particularly lower down the organisation, young people who have joined Aldermore, partly because it's a more contemporary brand, a more contemporary organisation, but they are drawn to its purpose. They go home at night saying to their friends, family, this is what I've helped done today. And in many cases, that's helped someone get a home for the first time. So I'm really drawn by, by that purpose. And in my view, and it's what we do every single day, it is about helping people often who have an impaired credit rating. And I don't mean people who are habitually bad at, or choosing not to pay their bills. It is people who've had some kind of life event or maybe no life event, they've had no opportunity or a lack of opportunity or they've had a knock, maybe they've lost their job or they've been through a separation or, or an illness or whatever it might be. And as a result, they've got a, a, an impaired credit rating. Our job is to help them get back on track. And we help many people in that situation get a home, often for the first time. And we see through the first two or three years that they have that mortgage with us, their credit rating improves quite materially. In fact, it would put them back into a mainstream uh, bank um, sort of appetite. Uh, many, interestingly, many of them choose to stay with us. So it does, it does engender loyalty. And I think, you know, we, we look beyond a, a credit scorecard. We look beyond the computer says yes or no. Our job is to help people. And uh, we do that day in, day out. Similarly with the business. And I saw one uh, in the north of England a couple of weeks ago. We, we've helped that business to, to expand. Uh, they're investing in premises for new, new, new ventures. Uh, this one just happens to be in the north of England, but we do it throughout the UK. And as a result of that, 150 new jobs will be created. And that that you know, that will be some of the um, the roles that I think people will, particularly from lower lower socioeconomic backgrounds, um, with maybe less initial opportunity, will find those jobs uh, appealing. And I hope they then go on to uh, into higher paid jobs as a result. But that that's what we do. That's our our role in in sort of leveling up. We want to challenge the status quo uh, in the banking environment, and, and we want to help people. And I guess over the what has been an incredibly difficult year and a half with COVID, actually for your staff, that whole role of, you know, giving people a break, getting lives on track, making a difference has really been absolutely at the core of what you've needed to do anyway, presumably. So it happened in two ways, Justine. And, and, and um, so in the, in the first two or three weeks of, of lockdown, 15,000 customers asked for a payment holiday. Uh, mm -hmm. And at the same time, you've got your own colleagues who are grappling with COVID mm -hmm. in their own lives, maybe homeschooling, maybe sick, mm -hmm. uh, operating remotely for, for the first time. Now that's really been tested in anger before. And we found our way through it. And I say 15,000 homeowners requested a payment holiday. 98% of those, by the way, are now back on track. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, we helped people through the housing, uh, buy a house through that period as well. And um we didn't we slowed down a little bit of that as the market slowed down but um you know we're coming out of that now and um what we're doing sort of really you know, high numbers of of new mortgages or, or or helping people to get a more affordable mortgage similarly with with businesses so it was um quite an interesting time at the, at the outset it's about helping people be flex and you know, providing flexibility um you know to businesses in some cases 
making sure they stayed afloat, mm -hmm. uh, helping them through things like furlough. Uh, we didn't furlough any of our own colleagues. And um, now it's helping them to, to rebuild. Uh, we've done an element of, of uh, support as well with the, with the government schemes and um, helping those businesses to, to recover and then to thrive and grow and, and create more jobs. I think, I mean, I think it's a fantastic, well, it's a fantastic purpose that has huge impact ultimately. And I guess, I mean, turning to all the work that you, you've done as interim co-chair of the Social Mobility Commission, I mean, obviously, Aldermore is playing its role crucially as a business in a wider push on social mobility and on the work that the commission was doing. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, how you managed to balance, you know, what was an important role on the commission with, with changing roles and going into Aldermore and almost this sense of, of how you decide the priorities for the social mobility commission whilst, you, whilst you're co-chairing it. Yeah, it was tough for a while, actually. Um, in some ways, what I benefited from as I moved from, from one role to another, one great organisation to another, and, and, and the chairs of those two organisations and myself worked well together to transition from one to the other. I had a bit of time off in between, not much, and there's nothing you can do in, in sort of lockdown, as everyone knows. So in some ways, that was helpful. I, I devoted my time to the Social Mobility Commission, um, and we really sort of focused on, on what we what we wanted to achieve. Um, I'm also supported by a very capable secretariat. Um, I mean, you will know that from, from your background, Justine, it really brought to life to me just how capable and how gifted uh, the civil service in, in general is. Yes, yeah. People who care passionately about what they do. They're, they're not the highest paid people uh, in society uh, and they're smart and, and they work hard and they're capable. Uh, and again, it's another example of of purpose in action. It really does draw people uh, to, to what they do. Um, and I think, you know, business has a role to play. Now, what I learned from, from the commission, and I probably spent about a day a week on it. Um, mm -hmm. so it is a bit of an impact on, on my time. Um, I think it's right for those who are in business uh, to and benefit from being successful in business to, to give back. Um, I can give back through my time and my knowledge and um, some hopefully some thought as, as well as other resources. Um, but it's, you know, business has a role to play. This isn't all about government doing stuff. Government has a role to play, but so does business. And I think what's really powerful, and, I, and I've seen it in action, is when the private sector and the public sector work hand in hand to understand the issues, mm -hmm. which are quite specific to certain um local communities it's not a north south thing you know it's, it's across the uk but the the requirements are, are quite specific in certain areas i was I, I i i think i've talked about this a few times but i remember going to oldham uh which curiously was the home of the fish and chips um uh you know it's quite a disadvantaged community i think it's in the, the five um poorest authorities across the uk um, in the uh, greater Manchester um, uh, metropolitan uh, area. The interesting thing about Oldham, there are no scale employers there. So you really rely hard on the SMEs for job mm -hmm. creation. Mm -hmm. And what I love what's happened there is that the, the FE colleges, which to be fair to government, they've invested in their great facilities, good teachers, 
they've worked really well with the local SMEs to understand what are the needs, the requirements of those SMEs. And they've put on courses to help people, young people in particular, but not exclusively, to train and learn and therefore have the skills and requirements that those SMEs need. And some of those courses are quite uh, quite interesting, quite different. They encourage and incentivize and motivate people to, to want to participate with some really interesting work experience along the way and confidence being put around people. Uh, the local community have played a, a real part in that. And it really attracts young dynamic teachers because again, it's driven by purpose. They can see the impact mm -hmm. of what they do. What gets in the way is poor quality housing. And uh, I think, uh, I think the, the stat I was drawn to was that um 25 percent of people many people renting in oldham uh change their property every six months because of the poor quality nature of the housing so imagine that you're a young upcoming teacher maybe you've got a family around you you move to oldham you're in poor quality housing and half the people on your street change in a year you can't build a you know connections friends uh, a social network if that happens and, and that requires national government local government communities businesses working together and when you do that you can make an amazing things happen and i'm being rather long-winded here but the point i'm getting to is that that's where we focus our work as a commission trying to join up those sort of different communities those different stakeholders because together it has real impact if it's not joined up then you, you, you have much lesser impact and that's a real shame it's a missed opportunity yeah, and I think Oldham's a really interesting example also because it was one of those places where we set up an opportunity area and that was all about reflecting the fact that just constantly trying to put more programmes in schools in a place like Oldham was missing the fact of that wider impact on education. And so if you're a, a child in one of those families that's moving regularly because of poor housing, it is really hard to do as well at school, maybe you're having to even change schools locally, than if you've got some stability um, in your home or if you've got a home that's quiet or not damp or overcrowded. And all of these things do come together. And I think one of the things that the commission was really able to, to major on that was massively important was this more systemic approach on understanding leveling up and social mobility and then you know for us with all of our work on the leveling up goals really then starting to properly for the first time define it so you could actually take some action on it and as you say in doing so allow businesses for example you know, a business like Aldermore Bank to really have a much clearer more defined sense of its own on where it wanted to where it wanted to play a role and I guess you know you talked about um, Oldermore's purpose. I'm going to guess, you know, you, you've talked a little bit about how important it is for the, the people, the businesses that you're providing services for and the staff, but I'm, I'm going to guess that being a great place to work with a really clear sense of what you want to try and accomplish is really good for, for Oldermore in attracting great talent, presumably, and then, and then keeping it. Undoubtedly. Just, just want to go back to one point you, you, you you make reference to i do think the, the commission i mean we've understood it's all evidence-led so it's, it's, it's not you know it's, you can't dispute it it's it's rock solid data uh with some of the biggest data sets that exist globally on, on these sorts of things 
And it is multifaceted. It's often the smaller things that make the big difference. Transport links, confidence, um, mm -hmm. childcare, quality of that, um, putting arms around people, role model. And that's why I like the, the levelling up goals, because they are also multifaceted. And it's it's no one, you know, there's no sil single silver bullet. It's all these things, you know, coming together and understanding the linkages between them that, that makes the difference. Um, sort of digress on that but that 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 I think was the the biggest learn for me uh, what we've tried to do for the commission I think on on Aldermore uh I've been pleasantly surprised that the the stated purpose the clarity of the purpose and the fact that it has you can have impact but it makes a difference to people what it's turned into is we undoubtedly attract better quality talent as a result. We undoubtedly retain better quality talent as a result. The single biggest advantage I think we have, so I, you know, we lack the scale of a big high street bank. I think we have much more agility, much more nimbleness, mm -hmm. but people want us to succeed. We are wanted uh, by the communities. I'm not sure some of our competitors can say that. Um, and it's not saying we're, bigger or better or, or than anybody else but it's it, it's actually that purpose has has created that and that's been a real it's been quite a learn for me so I, I might you know my intention is is to amplify that you then got to make sure it comes through in what you do mm. so that's why we are keen on, on 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 our goal of leveling up it is helping people to um to save uh, to make that easy to do in terms of having access to a savings account encouraging people to save having that no, buffer um, for, for what they might need it for to enable them to maybe make different and more informed choices going forward. Um, again, having access to credit in a responsible way where they're not getting to debt that they can't do something about, uh, that, it's, that it's affordable. Um, and then when something goes wrong, which does in everyone from time to time, that we are giving them the support to, uh, to, to get through that. And that's, you know, we, We've got some great stuff and linked to that again i've been super impressed and you, you know from other conversations we've had i've done a lot of work on apprenticeships i essentially went through an apprenticeship scheme myself um and we've got some a great apprenticeships in in Aldermore. the the attitude the hunger the dynamism these are these are young people who didn't go to university i'm not saying they should you know that's a bad thing to go to university but they didn't go to university they didn't necessarily have the the opportunity to I am glad they're in our workplace because they just bring a different perspective um, and they bring a certain energy to, to the organization, which is, which is just great. And they've got some real career prospects ahead of them. And I, I want to talk about your career in a second, but before we move off, uh, talk about young people and opportunities, uh, you know, you, you're right that I think for many an apprenticeship now is a much more viable opportunity, but just a quick question almost about the pandemic and entrepreneurship and the fact that actually for a lot of people who perhaps they didn't choose to but they're they're out of work and, and they're starting to think well what what next and one of those things can be well, maybe I'll start my own business I, I've had an idea I want to pursue it have you seen that that sort of entrepreneurial spirit much more strongly during the pandemic and, and are you seeing almost the, the sorts of people you're supporting doing new businesses change or or, or an uptick what's that felt like for Aldermore? 
So what is starting to see at the moment, and it is, I use the word starting because it's evolving quite quickly, actually. Um, so the so there were a number of businesses that didn't survive the pandemic. And you can put all sorts of reasons behind that. Maybe it wasn't a viable business in the first place. Maybe the, the business owner wasn't uh, making, you know, taking tough, decisive action quick enough, uh, et cetera. Um, but the, during that period, you also saw some great examples of entrepreneurship where they thought through how their business could survive or change and, and prosper, looked after its colleagues, looked after um, its supply chain. You know, for example, where I, uh, the, the bank where I was previously, Sea Hall and Co., um, there was a lot of uh, sort of entertainment done there pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. You can't do that in a pandemic. Um, but very mindful that the supply chain of the food, for example, they were small businesses. Um, that organization was, was fortunate mm -hmm. to afford to continue to pay for that food, but it diverted it to, to local homeless uh, shelters. Um, I just use it as an example, but that sort of entrepreneurship of keeping supply chains going, changing business models, thinking about who, um, uh, you know, diverting maybe furloughed staff to um, go and support the NHS, Hey, that's a nice thing to do, but think about what those people learned as a result. We, we did that. And what those people have brought back into the workplace is different perspective, different skills. Um, and that's that's been tremendous to then apply that in different ways. What we're also seeing is that some people are taking stock of their lives. Um, in some cases, they're moving out of, of salaried employment um, mm -hmm. and are taking forward a business that they were actually starting to do whilst in lockdown or when they were furloughed, they sort of got on with other stuff, hobbies, and are now starting to turn that in, into a business. So uh, we're seeing some real sort of interesting behavior change there. And I think what a lot of people have, um, uh, have done is realize, I don't necessarily want to be doing what I was doing before. I want more yeah. flexibility. I want more purpose. I want to enjoy my life more. Um, I want to help others. Um, I've been inspired by some of the things that I've seen and they are starting their own businesses. And, and some others are also um, uh, creating different business ventures or, or expanding their businesses because uh, they've seen the opportunity and they are, I think, you know, they've realized they are pretty resilient. It's amazing how some have you know, toughed it out. Um, often with, you know, various support packages, I think on the whole, the banks have been pretty supportive. Um, uh, and I think that's created a, a much stronger sense of resilience and entrepreneurship in the UK. And I think that'll be good for us in, in, the, in the months and years ahead. It has been a massive period of change. Um, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And, and I, you know, they often say some of those most successful businesses are ones that people set up right in the depths of a downturn and they just have an idea and then and then go for it, you know, but but they wouldn't have started unless there'd been almost that that push to have to do something different. Now, I definitely wanted, Stephen, to ask you about your own career. You talked about a little bit about the big banks. You know, it's you have really spent a, a career in, in finance and in the banking industry at different places. But tell for people um, who are listening to this, tell us a little bit about that journey, where it started, actually. And, you know, maybe first question is, was going into working in a bank, being in banking, something that you'd always thought about doing when you're at school or an educational, or was it more of an almost an accidental career path you, you ended up going on? Oh, it's totally accidental. Um, <laughs> I had no, and if I had my time again, I, I'm pretty pleased with 
how it's turned out. Um, and I've tried to sort of, you know, help people throughout my career, not just, you know, improve their own careers, but all the things I've talked around purpose. Um, but I'm not sure I would have gone into this profession if I'd had my time again. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look, I went to a pretty average state school, um, good people there. But what I, I'm struck by, you know, with the benefit of hindsight is there was no real aspiration by the, yeah, I feel terrible saying this because they were, you know, they were good teachers who I think were, were doing their best, but with limited resources, but there was no real, I, I saw any real aspiration for the, the students to be maybe better than what they, they thought they could be. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I then left school at 16. Uh, and where were you growing up, Stephen? So where, which bit of the country were we talking about? Yeah, now? so uh, in the early days, it was sort of uh, around sort of the Edmonton, Tottenham, North London, and then it, yep. was, then it was Hertfordshire. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, you know, my parents, my, my, so the banking element came in, my, my dad was, was a clerk in a bank, uh, mm -hmm. and my mum did a lot of manual jobs. And I remember, you know, at school age, going with her to people's houses that, that she cleaned, um, mm -hmm. or... In another area, you know, she worked and I joined her at weekends um, uh, doing manual labour in, a, in a, an aquatic garden centre. Um, yeah. uh, but I learned what, what hard work was all about and I, and I learned that the value of money uh, and it was my my mum my working those kind of jobs um, that enabled us to have a, you know, an okay life. I mean, there, were, there weren't things like, you know, holidays in the sun or stuff like that. It was, you know, camping somewhere in the UK uh which was which was a lot of fun but um it, it sort of it, it taught me uh the value of money and there wasn't really the aspiration or i think financial opportunity for me to go uh to to university um mm -hmm. so yeah i i i, I left and, and fell into banking probably because that's what i saw my dad do um and i i joined um the Holloway Road branch of Barclays as a 16 year old um, <laughs> working in what was then called the machine room. It was basically printing the statements and, and doing the post. Yep. And answering the phone. And um, uh, I loved it. It was real life. And uh, I could talk about other things, but when I left Barclays 30 odd years later, having sort of been uh, chief executive of you know, personal banking and, and, and Barclay card, uh, I went back to my my first branch, Holloway Road, on my last day, and uh, I was struck by it was a boiling hot day, and um, I had no idea this was happening. But when I went in there, that the, those who were there in 1986 when I started were there. And oh. the only <laughs> time I got emotional, the guy who opened yeah, the door as a 16 year old opened the door to me, and he was you know he's in his 80s now, uh, and that was that was that was lovely. And, you know, my best visit I did as Secretary of State for Education was back to Oak, what had been for me Oakwood Comprehensive. And, and when I arrived, some of my, what I, what I hadn't expected was some of my old teachers were there. And um, it, it, again, was a really, a really special moment. But I suppose it was a big moment to, to finally leave Barclays um, after all that, that period of time. You know, and I, I suppose now... I guess via Coots, you're, you're at Oldmore taking that next step on, on your career. And when you look back on it, Stephen, I mean, obviously there's a long, long way to go as well. I but so. when, you look, when you look back on it today, I mean, 
how how did you manage to progress that career what would you say the keys were that allowed you to sort of steadily make your way in in what must have been a massive banking culture if you like that you know maybe you didn't always feel like you fitted into I don't know how how was it on that journey so it's really interesting in in the the Holloway Road branch I mean is an interesting branch next door to the ladies prison we would have some some interesting customers on occasion um but it was real life yeah. and um i felt pretty much at home there um i then got and this is sort of really why, why i focus hard on, on social mobility um i got along with three others uh put on to the graduate program as a non-graduate as far as i know we were the first mm-hmm. four to ever do that mm-hmm. um and that was really someone I guess spotting me for want of a better word and, and, and doing something about it and that mm-hmm. and that that's happened several times since people who often maybe I'm not even sure they knew what they were doing but they were putting an arm around me or giving a kick when I when I needed it or opening a door for me and I can give some examples in a moment of that those little things made the biggest difference mm-hmm. and that you know because I essentially then got put onto a structured program a bit like an apprenticeship uh, scheme mm-hmm. um but it was the and the first move, which is into a head office environment. And by the way, I've been a big fish in a, in a branch network, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and I was comfortable in that environment. And there was nobody really from a you know a university background or, or anything in that kind of environment, which is wrong, by the way. And I, again, I can come back to that later. Um, and I then moved into a head office environment. I spent my day in front of a computer screen instead of talking to customers. Um, I didn't understand, frankly, some of the language they were using. Um, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I hadn't had that level of education. And I, I started to lose my own confidence. And um, I was about to go to, uh, and the reason I'd gone there was partly because I was on this scheme and partly because, um, you know, actually a guy called David Roberts, who, who's now the chairman of, of Nationwide, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who was my boss's boss's boss at the time I, I got to meet I can't remember how but anyway he opened the door for me uh, to go and get some broader experience and um, I hated it uh, so I was about to go to my boss to say look I just can't do this I want to go back to where I came from and for whatever mm-hmm. reason I just had a good day that day and I never had that conversation and then that good day became a, a next day and another good day and, and I progressed you know quite quite quickly and, and uh, with a good degree of seniority thereafter but the point I'm making is one is I did feel different, um, yeah. uh, but it's only because people opened doors me, put arms around me, gave me confidence uh, that I that I progressed. That, that it's those small, subtle things that make the biggest difference. It, mm-hmm. Yes, of course, you do need this, the structure program. Yes, I went to to night school. Um, uh, you know, I put the time in. Barclays paid for it. Yes, they sent me then to Harvard, and, and, and so they, they opened up tremendous doors for me. Um, but that in isolation doesn't work. It's the little things. And yes, I spent a year on secondment to, to McKinsey, got some experience there. But it's those little things that, that make the difference between that working well or failing. And the interesting thing, Justine, this is why it's not just a, a nice to do, it's a business imperative. Out of those four people who, who joined that graduate program as non-graduates the first time, two uh, were still in Barclays 30 years later, myself and one other, and we had both got to very, very senior positions, you know, top 10, 20 roles in the organization. Um, it pays, it pays for the organization to do that. And 
um, you know, I'm seeing, uh, having sort of introduced uh, an apprentice scheme within Barclays or, you know, leveraged it, 2,000 people have gone through that by the time I left, real jobs, real wages, real prospects. There's a business need. You, you do create and generate talent. Um, you do bring people into the business. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about this now, several years after I've left. Um, I think Barclays got good value from me, but it, it's all because of those small things. I would have been lost otherwise. So those sort of apprenticeship schemes get the best out of people, get the best out of organisations, and they definitely attract talent. And one of the areas where I introduced it was at the time in Cardiff, where we had a big operations centre. Um, and I remember my boss, the, the group chief executive, time giving me a hard time. Well, why, why are you short on staff here? You've got uh, one of the highest levels of unemployment in the UK. And he was right. When I dug into it, we were asking people in a call centre to have five or six GCSEs. You don't need five or six GCSEs to answer. Mm. You don't need any. What you need is people who want to speak to customers. Yes. And then we can put all the other support around them. And when we did that, A, we got some great talent in who we would never have seen. They would have been filtered out of the process. And also then I had a, I had a business that was better performing. So, um, you know, that taught me a lot of things along the way, particularly um, the need to put support, confidence around people, not to feel, I don't know, um, insufficient uh, relative to those who maybe had a different level of education. Um, I think it's I think it's a really interesting point because there's there are these couple of aspects. One is building this ladder, whether you're an organisation or it's education and you're the government that people can climb up and making sure the right rungs are there. But that's not the same as creating an environment that means people want to and get the support to then be able to use that that ladder that's that's in front of them. And I think the point you've made is really interesting and I think it's often overlooked. It's the fact that that challenge on raising aspirations and then enabling people to, to, to climb the ladder actually requires other people to have the right skills and motivation themselves. And that's about leadership almost at all levels of an organization. And it's about companies and, and employers really valuing their staff being focused on development, because actually that's the difference, isn't it, between that helping hand, you know, and support to get up the ladder versus a boss that like doesn't mind whether you stay or go, but it has an enormous impact on the wider business, doesn't it? It's leadership. Justine, and it's also curiosity and open-mindedness. What, what it's, um, it's about the desire to have otherness around you uh, in your business, avoiding groupthink. There's tons of stats that show the more diverse, particularly the more senior level of an organisation, uh, the better it performs because you just avoid that that groupthink. And mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing getting people in. Um, actually, a number of organisations do that really well, or, or say really well, pretty well now. So, from you know, more disadvantaged backgrounds or better gender equality, whatever uh, measure you look at, many organisations are better now. Still, some way to go at getting people in. There is still much more to be done at getting people to progress through the organisation. Yes, yeah. Different backgrounds, and uh, you probably saw our reports. Um, uh, uh, it's actually the civil service we we did yes. it, it showed yeah you know, they're pretty good at getting people from different backgrounds in 
very difficult to to progress and i think something coming exact stats now but only seven percent of people in the civil service at the senior level do not come from a university background and indeed a specific type of of university what i would say um uh you know i admired very much uh bernadette kelly who, who you probably know sort of um heads up the civil service she was completely open and transparent with the data uh we took that data we came up with a level of recommendations uh she's taken them all on board and um that's an example of a progressive leader uh who is curious uh brave bold uh, and is taking action to to help change change that position and um i i think that could be a role model for for others to follow when you look back on you know your career and and that journey i mean what advice would you give others who are who are starting out now you know that you've learned that would be helpful um i think the key things along the way are be curious and is interesting when i look back along my career and i hope i still got a bit to go but um the things that made the difference actually there was two or three seminal moments um where actually i turned down promotions and that wasn't easy because people like to be promoted i'm no different to that and you know that, that usually comes with the pay rise and i had you know bills to pay um you know i was supporting others no one was supporting me um and but they were real opportunities that people opened up for me and i wouldn't have got to where i got to without that so mm -hmm. one is it requires the curiosity and i guess the determination of the individual um and that requires tenacity determination you know don't give up and then be requiring of people ask others to help you um i did and they did um and i've you know given a, a couple of examples and i've never forgotten that and i do my very best to give time and opportunity to others like people did for me and then the final thing is things like you know when we went to night school and, and stuff that wasn't easy and i hated it in the winter when it's raining and it's wet and it's cold and my mates were at the pub and what have you um it just you know remind yourself why you are doing this and if you are supporting others keep you know incentivizing them motivating them um checking in they're okay it's very easy to give up and that's the worst thing that can happen um you know there's all sorts of policy things that can help around better transport to fe colleges and, and so forth um uh you know childcare and and so forth as well but um you know someone's listening to this who is a in the position where i was is that curiosity determination asking for help and support and if you are someone listening to this who helps others keep checking in with them keep giving them the confidence put your arm around them give them the kick if they need it i needed both of those things um and people did it uh, and it worked was there any ever a piece of advice you got given that you you kind of would reflect back on as being an absolute an absolute banker as it were of, of good advice to to sort of tell us about there are two bits one one i probably can't repeat because it involved quite a lot of naughty words but uh, <laughs> the pleasant way which is simply don't mess it up what they're basically saying <laughs> is you've got this um but the uh the, the the key one was um i remember being on this sort of graduate program at, at barclays and um 
I came off that early, so I didn't finish my my complete rotation. Um, and I came off it because I was promoted several grades in, in one go. And I didn't really have the, the, I never thought of really about saying no. And I knew I couldn't say no. It never happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some ways I regret it because I would have benefited, I think, from getting those, those broader experiences. Anyway, I did it. And there was a lot of people watching me to see how I would do. And I remember actually lending this business some money. I, I got seduced by by the business and you know I had some targets and stuff and I had to meet those and there was no reason I could see rationally why I shouldn't lend this business money but something intuitively kept saying to me this is not what it seems net result is I lent this business you know a big six-figure sum of money and it started to go wrong and we were about to lose that money and I remember thinking oh god I've got to tell my boss this and I did, and Bob, so this turned out into his performance because it was his numbers ultimately that I rolled up into him with, with a bunch of other managers. And he just sat there, very calmly said, well, uh, if you end up losing this money, this would be the best lesson you could ever have, and it'd be the best amount of money Barclays could ever invest in you. And I just thought, I mean, I walked out of there just feeling relaxed, calm, didn't take away that I, I was learning from this, but he could have done all sorts of things. He could have shouted, he could have screamed, he could have bullied, he could have, he could have done anything because it's actually impacted on him. He never did any of that at all. What a leader. And his point was basically, look, you yeah. know, things, look. things go wrong. You sort of had some instincts and the big learning from this is unpicking what they were, why, and then learning from that mistake. Yeah, I mean, for... About a week before I had that conversation with him, I was saying no to businesses who wanted money, who I should have said yes to, because I was losing my confidence. Mm-hmm. And he restored that. He just kept saying, listen to your instinct, follow, you, know, you, you can do this, you've already been doing it well. Just because one thing's gone wrong, learn from it. The best lesson you can learn is that, learn from it. And what it taught me, I, I, never, I never give people a hard time if something goes wrong. I will do if, it, if they've been sloppy, uh, or they could have done better, or if they keep making the same mistake, that's very different. What I'm much more interested in is what they learn from it, how they respond to it, how they react to it, because you can't do things unless you've got the experience. Mm. Totally agree. I think my best ever appraisal was the worst one I got because um, it, it actually gave me, you know, some pointers on where I needed to improve and might not have been fun getting it. Um, but actually, it was it was the kick up the the backside I probably needed to to raise my game. Right, final couple of questions. Firstly, proudest career moment so far. What would you say? Uh, I guess there are two. Uh, if I may be allowed to have two, um, mm-hmm. one is um, I, I a couple of years ago I was awarded um, an honorary doctorate. Um, from um, Herit Watt University for services to both banking and social mobility. And mm-hmm. Someone who didn't, uh, I mean, I, I went to night school university, but I didn't go to university. Someone to put on that gown and, and go through that experience was, was lovely. And the funny anecdote to that is my, my sister-in-law is uh, a doctor in real life and, um, <laughs> uh, right. and she's phenomenal. Um, but I did have a bit of fun because, I, as, I, as I understand, an honorary doctorate outranks uh, somebody who's put the hard graph. <laughs> um, and the second thing I think is really about the the recognition of of your peers. And I so say when I left Barclays to go back to my first branch mm-hmm. and 
and see those people who've given up their time to to come and see me 30 years after I joined and some of them I hadn't seen in that time uh that was emotional and that that meant a great deal brilliant and then final um final question favorite book or favorite movie what would you say um I like both I think movie um he says this on the the eve of the, the latest James Bond release but um the film I, I watched that I think has moved to me the most um, was a film called Goodbye Bafana. Um, uh, and it meant a lot to me because I, I spent several years living and working in Africa. And um, it's actually the true story of the relationship between a prison guard and Nelson Mandela. One was mm -hmm. black, one was white. Um, and the prison guard came up in a very uh, bigoted, I want to say Afrikaans. I, I, I don't. I don't mean all Afrikaans are bigoted. They are not. But mm -hmm. they, he was. You know, he was brought up in a certain environment in a certain way, and didn't know anything different. And he learned to really respect and appreciate Mandela. And Mandela learned to be patient with him. And that bond that uh, developed was quite incredible. Um, and the, the 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 hardship both went through in terms of being ostracised by their peers around them or families around them. Uh, it turned out to that this prison guard was a key linkage between uh, the African government and Mandela, which eventually led to the end of apartheid. But um, it's a very powerful film, uh, wow. and it, um, it's I think you can still get it on on online or DVD, whatever. But um, that was a phenomenal film, uh, well worth watching. Absolutely brilliant, um, Stephen Cooper. It's been a just brilliant podcast. Um, so much that you've done on social mobility that I think really inspires not only other business leaders, but I think through the Social Mobility Commission, I think really people more generally, it, it's just brilliant to be able to not only work with you as it were through the work on the Social Mobility Commission, but now also, and the pledge, but now also through the leveling up goals work with, with Oldermore Bank. So it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you on and looking forward to what's ahead. So thank you. Justine, thank you. And thank you for allowing me to talk. Pleasure. Thank you.